when we got this kind of on our plate, we thought, wow, this is a really cool opportunity. And also to the credit of all the associations, investing and hearing from them is the first step to turning all of this around. And a lot of organizations just don't do that. It costs money to do this. It takes a lot of time, but to me, it shows that there is a really strong investment in finding out how we can make improvements to improve their lives and allow them to really focus on the mission of higher ed. Episode two of Campus Confidential. Two and two. Good to see Episode you. Episode two, season two. Yep. Good to see you, Lauren. Um, really excited for this one today. We are kicking off our guests um, with our friends at E15. Uh, they're their research and data analytic firm that we partner with here at Compass. They do a ton of data and insight around food and facilities and beyond and about a year and a half ago, brought the idea to them to do some research around leadership in higher education in partnership with Akuoi, NURSA, and SCUP. And they were thrilled to jump at the chance to kind of dig into what's happening in higher education related to leadership. And I think their support of the project, the research, um, their thoroughness was amazing. And so we had the two lead um, I don't know what we call them, partners, lead data research folks. Lauren, I'm going to let you share official titles. Actually join us on this episode, and I think um, it's a good one. Yeah, I was really quite impressed with them. They honestly made the research and data relatable and understandable in a way that's pretty hard to do, and I really appreciated that, and I hope that came through in in the episode. But we were joined by uh, Aaron Moore-Ruddy, who is the Vice President of Research and Insights at E15. And um, she leads the primary and secondary research efforts on consumer preferences and satisfactions and trends. Has been there, I think, just a couple of years, 2021 maybe or so. And prior had worked uh, for a couple of other firms that did uh, research and insights uh, work as well. And prior to that, believe it or not, was a global liquidity analyst she mentioned at Goldman Sachs. So she's had quite a varied <laughs> career. Yeah. Um, but, you know, really leads all of the strategic consulting and data analytics work that uh, E15 is doing and did that, of course, for the survey. And so really, really great to have uh, her with with us and uh, attended for those who might be interested in the higher ed community, uh, St. Louis University for her Bachelor of Science in Finance and International Business and Tufts University, where she received a Master of Science in Food Policy and Applied Nutrition. So she's in the right industry doing this research work. And Elise Bass, who is the manager of research and business insights at E15, been there since 2019, and she focuses primarily on research in the food and beverage industry itself, has been um, with various Compass Group companies for about 10 years. But what I loved is she got her start, she calls it her humble beginnings as a catering attendant while still in college. So uh, she's from a family of educators, though, so really felt, um, feel strongly about the work she's doing and really enjoyed being as part of this podcast, giving it service to, to higher education as well. So um, really happy to have both of them with us today and really impressed with the way they made, as I said, the research relatable and, and understandable. Was there yeah, they they did, and um, those folks that know me out there, like data is something that 
I enjoy and I appreciate when other people <laughs> put it in a way that I can understand and then t- talk about it in a broader sense. Was there anything that stuck out to you from the conversation or that keeps sitting with you um, from these insights? Yeah. I mean, a few, th- a few things that stuck out for me. One was, I, th- I think Elise talked about the modern workforce. That was her language. And the modern workforce, you know, the skills that we need um, are different today to manage a workforce that is very different than it was even 10 years ago and certainly longer than that. So folks who have lots of experience in managerial and supervisory and administrative roles who have really substantive and good supervision and leadership skills probably need to tune those up given the changes in the workforce, the modern workforce. I mean, that that really you know, stuck out. It's really talking to me. I mean, I need to evolve as I think about my skills in that way. And I guess the the other thing that really stood out was this notion of, I can't remember if she called it career mapping, but what I wrote in my notes was career mapping, that what employees really want is to know the path, to understand how they can grow in their roles and what it would take, what I need to do in order to advance in my career and how, the, how important it is to have that kind of conversation directly and explicitly with employees um, in, in your in your area? I think grow in advance doesn't necessarily mean you want a different role. Right. And I think sometimes yeah. there's so much focus on moving up in the organization versus becoming more and more valuable in your current role. And I think we have the opportunity to look at both of those pieces with the staff and as leaders, to your point is, how are we refining our skills? How are we improving our skills to help people wherever individual at scale continues to come up to help people where they're at and then help move the organization and the needle to where it needs to go? Um, the piece to me was just really this, the valuing staff. I think a lot of times, you know, um, the pizza party, the one-offs, those matter, but I think true connectivity, purpose, and meaning in in roles, and that being recognized is where value comes from. And so how leaders are moving that and putting that into action is part of um, the conversations we'll be having. So I'm excited about all of it. I am too. All right. Well, let's take a listen. Hope you all enjoy. Okay, here we are. Season two, episode two. How are you doing today, Lauren? I'm doing really great. How are you? I'm great. I mean, we're supposed to use different words, not just great all I the know. time. Well, I'm, I'm actually lying too, because I'm fighting a cold. 50% <laughs> of us on this podcast today are fighting a cold. So uh, I'm average. How's that? That's a different word. That's good. Average. 50%. You all yeah. listeners can decide which 50% have the cold, which one's just got over the cold. <laughs> all the things. So we're joined here. As Lauren mentioned, we have some guests this season. We're looking to have multiple guests per episode. So we're excited for this first one. We have Aaron. How are you doing, Aaron? Good. Doing really good. Enjoying the, the winter storm that we're getting here in New York. Enjoying. But excited to join <laughs> both of you and talk higher ed. Awesome. And Elise, how about you? I'm uh, with Lauren as the 50% of people who are on the men and recovering from a cold, but 
definitely excited to talk about this uh, topic and I'm looking forward to all the things that we can share with the audience. Fantastic. Well, um, here we are 2024 series. So I know over the years, especially in my career and Lauren, I think you've been the same. We talk a lot about student success and that is clearly important and will continue to be important. But for the next few episodes of the podcast, we really want to talk about the people that are providing the service to the students and what does it mean um, for employee success? Lauren, what other thoughts do you have? Yeah. I just that this is an investment in the people that work in higher education. This the series and the research and the guests that we'll have on um, in this mini series are really meant to be a contribution to the lives of leaders. And so we're not ignoring student success to your point. That's the point of the work. But really, this is meant to be an investment in the people that are doing the work to create successful environments. So um, I'm excited about it and I appreciate really your leadership in pulling this together. We'll kick it off with some demographics just so you all have the context of the survey at a high level. There was 400 plus, 431 to be exact, um, people who took the survey. Two-thirds of the respondents were either directors or associate directors, so we were really looking at that mid-level management position, if you will, at the institutions. Student affairs was highly represented, but I will say we did get a cross-representation of um, administration, which is exciting. And then about three-quarters of the, of the sample size have been working in higher education for over 10 years. And Lauren, I think that's something that you and I have talked a lot about, some on the podcast and some off, is just we were expecting some of this information to come from people newer to higher education. But what was really interesting is how long some folks have been working. Yeah, I was surprised. I think as we get into this, people will should keep in mind that this is an experienced group. This is an educated group. And this is a relatively at least mid, if not senior level uh, roles kind of group. And so keep that in mind as we're getting into these these data. Yeah. So, um, and bear with us if you hear papers in the background, because we all want to get it right. Yeah. We want to give you the information in, uh, in the, in the, if you call it right, since we're talking data. Um, so Lauren, I, I think we had some good news in the survey, some good yeah. findings. Want to yeah. share that? Well, you know, this is a challenging time in higher education. We all know that many of our listeners feel that, um, but It's important to keep in mind, I think, Kelsey, you and I have talked about how there's a lot of challenging stuff in hiring, but it's not all bad news. There's some good news to to, to lift up. We're going to get into some of the challenges, many of the challenges today, but I want to just mention a few things and then maybe Aaron and Elise can expand on these as we get into this. But 86% of respondents say positive working relationships are the top attribute of their environment. 75% feel supported by their direct manager. Now, you're going to hear some differences based on roles and and such in the institution, but feel supported by their direct manager. 69% enjoy the work culture in higher education. 63% have chosen to do this to impact the lives of students. And while there are quite a few folks looking for new jobs, that's the bad news, most of them seek new roles in higher education. So they haven't given up on higher education yet, even if they're looking for new roles. So there are some good nuggets in there I want to keep in mind. The big headlines as I saw this are things like this. Career satisfaction is down 27% compared to five years ago. About a quarter of respondents are uh, actively seeking new jobs. And the top reason for that 
is higher pay and more growth opportunities. And then finally, 60% believe the perceived value of higher education is diminishing, right? So there's, there's this good news story, and then there's these challenges that have to be dealt with. So I, I just wanted to paint that very broad uh, picture before we get deeper into some of the detail and what Aaron and Elise suggest might be things that we can do in higher education to remedy the things that are most challenging. So with all of that said, Aaron and Elise, what is it, you know, how would you describe the sentiment right now in higher education when an aggregate, when you look at the survey before we get deeper and you hear those points, how would you begin to describe the sentiment that you're observing in higher education right now? Yeah, there is, there's definitely a lot going on, a lot of challenges, as you had mentioned, but there is, of course, still this tie to the mission of higher ed and to the experience that they want to provide for students. And so, as you mentioned, is that being a good news highlight is that employees are drawn to the mission of higher ed. And so in that way, that stands out from other industries. Um, it's something that um, higher ed employees are seeking as far as their fulfillment. And with that in mind, there are opportunities to kind of build on what they're looking for, uh, for job satisfaction to continue keeping them and retaining them. But there are also um, structural issues that we were finding as far as, you know, their pay, their uh, work-life balance, and things that are compounding on top of the pay that make their experience a little less than satisfactory. But overall, we're seeing a decline in satisfaction, but finding we are finding ways to, um, or we have identified ways that we could start to find solutions and uh, make changes there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was there anything, what, what kind, what of the findings surprised you the most or what confirmed for you the things that you already expected to see there? So both ends of that spectrum. So one thing that I don't think was a surprise to anyone was the compensation piece. We heard loud and clear that compensation is low, um, but to counteract that, we also heard that that's not really a reason that people go into this field. And so I think that that's an important piece of this. But when we think about compensation, what came through loud and clear was that they're not happy with it, but they didn't really expect that to be a driving factor for why they chose this career. But right now that's being amplified. The, the dissatisfaction is being amplified by other kind of components or um, concerns that they might have in their day-to-day -day role. And so that was the surprising piece of it is this kind of a lot of industries coming out of the pandemic. A lot of employees are frustrated in their jobs. There's been a lot of changes. We had the great resignation. A lot, you know, there's a lot that has gone on across the board. But in higher ed, something that stood out to me is that, you know, we knew pay was going to be low satisfaction, but it's really amplified coming out of the pandemic because some of those restrictions in higher ed are making people less and less happy with their pay, meaning they're being asked to take on more things outside of their role, being asked to volunteer for more things, or people have had layoffs in their department and they're just absorbing those roles. So that was one of the big standouts to me mm -hmm. from the research. Um, but there's so much great stuff in here. that it, That's just one that popped into my head, Lauren, when you asked the question. Well, it's such a paradox, it seems to me, or, or the, the, the results seem to be um, sort of at odds, because on the one hand, pay is an extrinsic thing, but the mm -hmm. motivation to enter higher education for 
the joy of working with students, let's say, is an intrinsic thing. So how do we make sense right. of this this um, motivation? The thing I most love about higher ed is is the stuff that I feel from the relationships, but the reason for my leaving would be pay. How do we make sense of that? Well, I think before we get into one to the stats for that, I think it, it comes down to when we aren't intrinsically feeling satisfied, the way we try to make up for that is the mm -hmm. extrinsic part, mm. right? So pay is a non-issue when I feel content, happy, motivated, mm -hmm. all the pieces are in line with my values. Yeah. As soon as there's misalignment, the first thing I go to is yeah. I'm not is paid pay. enough for this. Exactly. <laughs> and, and what we've found, and I, I'm sure you've felt this over the years, Lauren, is like you can give certain people more and more money and they're st still not going to ha be happy because they're not in the right role or in the mm -hmm. right place. And so- uh, you know, Aaron or Elise, if you want to start with maybe valuing staff, what it, what came up? Because I think valuing staff was one of the big pieces um, in the data that supported where. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to build on that, Kelsey, what you just said, that kind of people automatically go to pay when they're unhappy with some of those other components. And one of the huge ones here is valuing staff. And I feel like because the value is low right now in higher ed. So it was a tough finding from the study that we did was that there's a lot of people who are in higher ed currently that just don't feel valued either by their campus leadership or just the institution overall. Um, I think when you kind of, you know, I think that um, we heard a lot about this from different levels. There's a slightly higher level of, you know, feeling valued among people who are closer to the campus leadership. So that was an interesting finding. So the further mm -hmm. people get away from the leadership, the less valued they feel by the leadership, which is interesting. Um, this So one status, two out of five higher ed employees feel supported by campus leadership. So this is pretty low um, when we really dig into it. Two out of five is not, is not that many. Um, and it's just driven by the perception that campus leadership isn't listening. They're really kind of failing to drive change that positively impacts staff on campuses. Um, and they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have a vision for the future. And that is concerning. So that all of that together, you know, really is leaving staff feeling like they're not that valued. And then you team it up with the lower pay and pandemic related concerns and issues. And you just like, there's a lot going on that can leave people feeling like, what am I doing in this position? Mm -hmm. Am I doing the right thing for myself overall? Have I gotten away from why I even got into this field in the first place? Yeah. And I wonder, you know, going back to the associate director, director level position is that mid-level, you know, if you're at the same institution that you've been at for years, you made, you made it through the pandemic, let's through, right, is relative, but, and you're on the other side and you're having to care for people on your team and all of a sudden you're not feeling cared for. It's kind of this, how do you how do you balance this, this care for others and getting the care you need for yourself uh, as well? You know, this makes me think, <clears throat> okay, so what we're really saying is lest somebody, lest the listener think, adjust the pay, things are okay. Pay is merely the the symbolic, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an indicator of value, but it's not the sum of it. It's not the total of it. So it's necessary, but insufficient to create a, a valued workforce, right? What are the what are the things that you think um, people are really saying to us in the survey about what valuing looks like? To, to riff on your question a little bit, Kelsey, what does what valuing look like, do you think? 
coming from campus leadership, a lot of them just want to be heard. They want to be listened to. They want uh, campus leadership to pay attention to the issues that they're facing, such as the burnout and the low pay, and they want action to be taken for that. And so I think for me, an interesting finding that I've, that, that came from the study is that most higher ed employees actually feel that they have supportive direct managers that care about their overall well-being. But that's, again, a little offset, as Aaron had mentioned, um, by campus leadership uh, being a little bit further in proximity and they have higher level things that they have to focus on. And so, so we see that higher ed employees and staff don't feel like they're prioritized or they're centered in a lot of these plans. But I think that another important thing to note is the higher ed staff members feel like they're not as prioritized as faculty. So again, having this discussion about well-being, they're feeling like faculty is getting more of the attention, faculty gets more of the benefits, more of the um, appreciation than they do when they do a lot themselves to contribute to the success of the institution. And one other thing I'll just add to that, that um, along the the valuing piece is this notion of there's been a consistent feeling among staff that they're expected to do more with less. And while there is like, you know, we've all been in a position where somebody leaves, somebody's on, you know, like a vacation or whatever. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a rough two weeks, but it's feeling like a rough going on for years for this years, group right. people. <laughs> and there's this continuing feeling of just keep doing more, but we're going to give you less resources, less people, less support, less time. Like all of that is just compounding on the the kind of feeling of under under being underappreciated, I would say. So kind of touching on Lauren, one of the the good news highlights that you mentioned about 86% of employees saying that relationships with their coworkers is a top attribute of their culture. Then we kind of looking at the whole picture, we see that there's this sense of camaraderie, like we're all facing these challenges together, but we're all still finding ways to support one another, to look out for another, for one another. And I think in that sense, that adds to the job satisfaction because you feel like you have people that you are in your corner that you're going through and that you're, you're facing these challenges with. And so hopefully I think going forward, there's more um, support top down uh, for these initiatives and for their well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Anything, any of the stats or information from the survey related to burnout? Because I think you paint that picture and I can imagine people wherever they're listening to us walking in their car being like, yes, you see me, right? So it all kind of falls to me into this kind of either burnout or well-being piece, pieces of the survey. So talk a little bit about those sections and findings that came out. I think one thing I would add to what we just covered regarding kind of burnout is that, and this touches on what Lauren brought up in the beginning as a key highlight, but satisfaction is declining. Like I know Lauren said that, but it's a really, really, really important finding from this study and something that, you know, when I think about the purpose of this study, this is a one of the findings that really I think is um meets the reason why we did this and to understand and bring this back to schools and to people who are in really senior positions within higher ed to, to kind of be a wake up call to say like, 
we did this because we wanted to hear from people within higher ed. And here's a huge finding from this study that we want you to really see and realize how dramatic this is. Because five years ago, 78% of people that we surveyed said they were satisfied working in higher ed. And when we asked them their satisfaction today, only 57% of them said they were satisfied. It's not a horrible number. I think it's a, you know, a good number compared to other industries, but the decline is shocking in just a few years. So the pandemic, I think when we when we look at industries across the board, the pandemic has hit higher ed harder than it has hit other industries. And so I think that burnout is really reflected in the in this satisfaction level. So we've talked a lot about it, but that's just one thing that I wanted to drive home as to the importance of this this one stat is really a game changer in in the study. Well, and I'm looking, um, Aaron, at the uh, the document a little bit here, trying to recall. I don't recall it. I don't recall respondents believing it was going to get better either. There was a yeah. sort of a pessimism. So yeah, worse, worse, yeah. maybe even than the decline in the current number is a pessimism that has taken over. Which I mean. That's a really dangerous thing for a culture, a pessimism to sort of take hold where the sense of hope and possibility is eroding. That to me as a as a campus manager is far more toxic and dangerous than a current thing that I can actually work on. It's just really difficult to change. Would you would you agree or do you have a different perspective on that? No, I think that's a great call. Is that in the same kind of question sequence, we ask them what they ex- how they expect their satisfaction to change in the next five years, and it continues to be lower than it was five years ago. It's not a huge decline. They're not expected to decline much further, but this kind of current state is expected to continue, mm-hmm. which is much lower than it used to be. And so I think. It's great that this survey was done and that the associations and Compass were on board with doing it because I think this is a great step to say, okay, this is what it is now. It's not expected to get better, but here are some tools and some findings that we can take from the survey to actually move that number up a little bit and turn turn it around. And, and yeah. just to be nuanced about it too, uh, it's much higher, right, to your earlier point, campus leadership, cabinet level, vice president, happier, more satisfied, more optimistic than everybody else. So that's an important nuance. And then public institutions, large institutions, people tend to be more satisfied at the larger public institutions, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, than some of the smaller or mid-sized institutions. So depending on where one is and depending on where one sits in the organization, you may not see it or experience it or hear it or feel it in the same way. So being really attentive, I think, to... um, to, you know, to at least your earlier point, listening and asking and inquiring and showing up is is important because you may you may miss it. It seems to me. Totally. I the one thing that I it has me thinking listening to you all talk that through is during the pandemic and Adam Grant brought to life languishing, right? Uh, and this idea of languishing and that um, it's not terrible and it's not great. We're just kind of getting by. And I think that has, tra- that's, I'm sure the Webster definition of languishing, so don't hold me to it, but that's really how I interpret it. And it, it's, and now it's kind of fading into that, the culture as a whole. And then you mix in the public opinion that's been so tough on higher education as an industry for years upon years. It feels like it's all kind of colliding on, and, and 
feeling like it's sitting with the people who now are trying to do the work and remain optimistic and hopeful and do the work for the students. To, to add on that a bit, um, Lauren, you were talking about the perception of, and the value, the perception of the value of higher ed uh, diminishing. And perhaps coming out of mm-hmm. COVID that added to this because now you're seeing in other industries where you can have remote jobs, you can mm-hmm. adjust your schedule, you can be a bit more flexible with your workplace needs. And for um, higher education, there might have been a bit more rigidity when it comes to things like that. And so finding ways to um, incorporate some of that flexibility might be uh, a good solution to helping um, just improve employee satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we saw was uh, when it came to training opportunities, one in three higher ed employees actually said they would benefit from training that helps them to manage their work-life balance and to avoid Mm -hmm. burnout. So that's a great sign because it indicates that if they can get more support and skills in this area, that that could have a positive impact on their their job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Really good point. Really good point. Can we talk for a second about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? I think some of the findings that we heard from the folks who took the survey were really interesting to me. Can you all share what we heard from the survey? Yeah, this was definitely an interesting finding for me as well. Um, And we're seeing that there's a diverging sentiment among employees where some feel that the focus on DE&I is, uh, it's all talk, it is performative, and that there aren't really, there isn't really any progress that's being made as far as DEI. And then there's others who feel that there's too much focus on DEI and that kind of other important matters aren't being taken into account. So, um, one quote that was pulled directly from the study is diversity, equity, and inclusion is all anyone talks about, and no one talks about education, accountability, evolving our strategies. So, you can see here that. Someone feels like DEI is too much of a focus, and that they themselves are being drowned out in this uh, focus on the DEI. Hmm. Sounds a little bit like our country, divergent views <laughs> on <clears throat> the topic and DEI. Yeah. But I do think it impacts well being. And when we think about um, uh, the conversation we were having around, people wanting to be seen and heard and listened to and their overall well-being and how diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging plays a piece in all of that. And so it really Mm -hmm. starts to lay out the story and the complexity of the work for each other and with each other to move forward. One thing that was interesting as well to just to touch on here is that one, what we found was that people who work at smaller institutions Mm -hmm. are more likely to feel like they need more training and development dedicated to DEI. And so that's just an important thing is that this, this phenomenon of feeling overwhelmed by DEI initiatives could be, you know, more relevant to larger schools, but smaller schools actually feel like they don't have enough resources to necessarily deal with these types of topics or initiatives or, you know, committees. Um, so that's that's an important finding is that there might need to be more resources or training dedicated to those smaller schools. Yeah. Yeah. I recall in the data too, if I'm recalling correctly, there was um, 
there was something along the lines of desiring training on on how to consolidate and downsize more effectively, which you were talking a little bit ago about people having to carry heavier load and do more with less. Sometimes that's because there aren't the resources and staffs are getting smaller or, or consolidating or asked to carry uh, more responsibilities. But that's one of the areas people are saying, look, I feel like they're saying, look, I can do it, but I just need some help. I need to, I need some training about how to do this well. Am I recalling that piece of data correctly? Yeah, that that's the number one area where people feel unprepared for how to handle either the shifting of responsibilities or even, you know, it could potentially be conversations when they have to have the conversations around downsizing. Um, they just don't necessarily feel as prepared for that as they do for some of the other you know, kind of scenarios that they're potentially facing in their roles, like enrollment challenges or, you know, um, thinking of a couple others we included in the survey. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's a big one. I also wonder if downsizing and consolidation is, you know, we throw around the word unprecedented, but maybe that this is something new a lot of employees are facing. And so they don't have any real guidance or they haven't seen it done or they haven't needed to do any of this in prior years. So this might just be something that's completely new for them. That's such a good point, Elise, because, you know, when we look at the sort of trajectory and history of higher education, the post-war boom of enrollment really has not abated in any material way when you look at higher ed and aggregate. So universities, colleges, this is not true universally, but in aggregate, generally have been growing for decades. We've not had to deal with the disruption that the that the enrollment uh, bubble um, bursting is creating, or the effects of the pandemic, uh, you know, on them. So that's a great point. We're just not practiced at this. We need some help. Aaron or Elise, is there anything else that we? I feel like we kind of covered most everything in the document. Maybe not in exact order, <laughs> but I think we touched on most pieces. Anything that we didn't touch on? I think one area we could emphasize a little bit more is that um, higher ed employees are really seeking professional advancement. That's one thing that they're looking for as far as in other industries. So one way that we could help there is to really focus on more training and development. And as far as training goes, they really want hands-on experience in their areas of interest. So they want to work with their managers to, to identify different projects and tasks that would prepare them for potential promotions down the road. Aside from hands-on experience, focusing on things like just technical skills in the realm of finances and project management would be really helpful. Um, and then, you know, finally, I just want to say that this is a trend we've seen industry-wide. There was a publication from the Chronicle of Higher Education stating that 27% of institutions have increased their training and development opportunities to improve employee retention. So if there's one thing I think that we could begin focusing on immediately is trying to find the budget or allocating resources to focus on training and development. Because when you're providing them with opportunities for continued learning and development, you're investing in their growth, you're showing them you believe in their abilities, and that helps them to feel more valued, appreciated, and cared for. So hopefully that will also um, improve their job satisfaction. 
Yeah. And I would say for those that maybe are sitting there and like, well, if I invest in the people and then they leave, but if we're all investing in the people, then everyone is going to be investing in each other and it really won't matter where everyone ends up. But I think the investing in the people is what actually, I think you're completely spot on, makes them feel um, committed and appreciated in their roles. What if you don't invest and they stay? That's right. That's right. The other thing is, you know, we've talked a lot about the institutions. I will say the three associations, Akuhai, NURSA, and SCUP that partnered with us on this and will um, is sharing this data out. They are actually shaping the work that they will be doing for their members around this data to help move the needle on um, these numbers, right? So training and development, how are you cross-training there's 20 associations, higher ed associations working together for well-being week for a free virtual um, training. I don't know if it's called a training, seminar, workshop, whatever. But I, I think the associations that support the staff at colleges and universities are really working to help move the needle on these issues. It's something that everyone's coming together to work on. And so how are we all investing in each other for each other? Yep. Yep. I wonder if we could turn now to some things that we might do to actually improve the the environment, the conditions in higher education. And you all had some ideas in this in the report. Uh, for example, you mentioned uh, providing benefits beyond pay. Uh, to employees. You mentioned encouraging eternal promotion of employees who already show the ability to develop good working relationships. Um, I think I recall you mentioning maybe even mapping career trajectories for people, to your point, Elise, about upward growth and training campus leadership with the kinds of things they need to be able to do for employees. I wonder if you could mention things to you that seem most salient, most powerful that could be done to help with employee retention satisfaction, things that you found in the in the survey or things that occur to you from the survey? One thing that stands out to me is the kind of training of middle managers and newer managers of people, because that's such a huge part of younger, you know, entry level to higher ed, their success is having those good supportive managers. We know from the data that, you know, they are generally happy with their managers, but we want that to continue. And the, we've we've touched on how much this industry is changing. There are so many macro level trends impacting higher ed. And I think a lot of people, we, we heard from the survey that there are people who feel they're not necessarily ready to manage in the modern workforce with the mm. modern workforce, whether that be Gen Z, Gen Alpha down the pipeline, or the fact that now we have remote work. And so there mm-hmm. needs to be a, a, a bit more focus on that training of people managers at the middle and lower levels, because as you know, that entry level comes in and they're facing their first few few years in higher ed, we want to prepare them for what the world looks like now in a positive way and set that, that kind of trajectory in higher ed, um, up for success. Mm -hmm. I think another thing is, um, again, focusing on how, Uh, employees really value the mission of higher ed and that they choose a career in higher ed because they want to impact the lives of students. So when creating job responsibilities, you want to build in responsibilities that align with their specific interests, their strengths, their weaknesses that would actually keep them engaged in what they consider to be meaningful work. 
Yeah. And Lauren, you asked my opinion, right? I did. I was waiting for you. I could see it in your face. <laughs> You're anxious on the edge of your seat of what I might say. Um, well, what I'm actually going to say is this is why I think the mini series to the podcast is going to be important. We're going to talk about compensation, valuing staff, sense of purpose, the work environment, the task of being president of a university. So I think there's, um, I think some of it is awareness, right? If we put the emotional intelligence kind of um, graph, if you will, on this problem or on this situation, it's, we have awareness, we've had awareness. So how are we going to regulate ourselves and show up? How do we have social awareness related to this? How do we work together to make an improvement? I think taking all of those components and being very intentional about actions, yeah, both macroly and microly. Yeah. And I, I feel like if the origin story of this podcast is really about mm -hmm. leadership and its stories, what the survey is talking about and you know, even in its nuance of campus leadership versus sort of director level folks, what the survey is pointing out is the responsibilities and opportunities associated with leadership. And um, I, again, I go back to where we started a little bit. Two thirds of the respondents were director or associate director, presumably supervising people. 89% uh, have a graduate degree, clearly committed to this profession, so pursued education to support it and experienced with most of them or more than half having, I think it was a 10 or 15 years of experience. So this is a group of leaders that has um, an enormous burden, but opportunity also. And the survey points out, I think, uh, really what can be done um, consistent with what we've talked about all season one with, with campus leadership as the core of this. So it's an opportunity. I'm looking forward to all of the series this year. That's right. Well, Elise and Aaron, thank you so much for not only today, the podcast, but you did a lot of work to administer the survey, uh, analyze these data. Um, what our listeners don't know is we've had several meetings with the association leaders and some colleagues on campuses who are part of the research team, and you helped us understand it, interpret it. You've written it up in a way that's understandable, and you helped us today and all our listeners really uh, get a few nuggets that um, we hope helps campus leadership. You pointed out you know, how important listening is and uh, career mapping and advancement and uh, training uh, spe spe specific to the evolution of, you know, the workforce and middle management levels and, uh, you know, what you call the modern workforce, Aaron. So just really great stuff. We're so grateful to you for what you do and what you've done with us so far and for being with us today. So thank you very, very much. Yeah, it's been great to work with you all and um, have the opportunity to support on this project. I think to just add one final comment, this this study had a special place in my heart. My family are educators. My mm. sister is currently in housing at a big school in the Midwest. And so when we got this kind of on our plate, we thought, wow, this is a really cool opportunity. And also to the credit of all the associations, investing and hearing from them is the first step to turning all of this around. And a lot of organizations just don't do that. It costs money to do this. It takes a lot of time. But to me, it shows that there is a really strong investment in hearing from this audience and finding out how we can make improvements to improve their lives and allow them to really focus on the mission of higher ed, which we all know that that is such an important part of our society. And, you know, everybody that's 
you know, heading into higher ed or coming out of higher ed or, you know, it's just such an important mission. So we're, we're happy to support it in whatever way we can. Lauren, extra credit time. <laughs> okay. I, as usual, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to stick with our theme. Is it easy? Of, it's super easy. I'm not even going to put you on the spot today. Oh, okay. Which okay. is somewhat disappointing. But <laughs> For you. <laughs> for me. Um, South by Southwest EDU. It's ah, yeah. creeping closer. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming up. I'm excited. How are you feeling about it? I am very excited. I think we've created... Um, an opportunity through the conference to do a meetup session. And if you all listened to our last episode, we talked a little bit in detail about all of it. But Lauren, how about you give everyone who didn't hear the last one what we plan to do at this meetup? Yeah. So a meetup is just a gathering of people interested in a topic. And our topic is placemaking and belonging in higher education. You don't need to prepare for it. There's not content delivery. We have some different engagement exercises and chance to meet people that are thinking about the same topic. So um, it's uh, informal and engaging, and we really, really would love to have you or anybody you know that's going, uh, come see us there. Yeah. It's not too late. South by Southwest EDU. March 6th is our session date. So if you're here, if you're in Austin, um, come by, say hi. We would love to have you. Uh, if you're not going to be there and you've seen us talking about it on LinkedIn, would love for you to share the message that we will be there and contribute that way. So for those of you who will see be there, awesome. others yep. will see you in other places. Thanks. Campus Confidential is presented by Compass Group, produced by Corey Insko, with your hosts, Kelsey Harmon-Finn and Lauren Rollman.